about this concept of ownership and progress. And what's really interesting, I spent the whole week talking to people and training, to, training people on this exact subject. So it's fascinating that the captains of our industry are obsessing about this as well. They've been saying to me, Janine, we need to find our best and our brightest. We need to upskill them. We just want them to stand in their spotlight and shine and be who they're supposed to be. We need them to lead. And I'm going, yes. And then at the same time, they're going, and how the hell are we going to exist in the future? It's just going mental, as Lynn was saying. How are we going to progress? What do we need to do? We need to ideate. We need to innovate. And I'm going, yes. You see, the thing is, there is so much going on, isn't there? We have got everything at our fingertips information, choices of what we're going to buy, where we're going to research for stuff. We've got information absolutely everywhere. And I reckon what's actually happening, we're, we're totally brain-bombed. We're just like... <laughs> I read the other day, University of California published that we are receiving 35 gigabytes of information every day. I reckon that would crash a computer. I reckon it would. So how are we coping with all this? How are we doing it? You see, I think those words of Helen Keller where she said, alone we, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much, are so important right here, right now. And in my view, the future of leadership and progress and ownership is all about this concept of moving from this space of me into this space of we. We've absolutely got to own who we are. What are our skills? What are we bloody good at? And what are we flawsome at? Now, let's get flawsome. And let's step with confidence and courage and conviction into a space where we're not faking it till we make it, where we're honest and truthful and transparent because we know that when we bring that true person to the table, we're able to together do so, so much more. The reality is we are smarter together. We move quicker together. And together, we're able to see through these 35 gigabytes of insane information and find the opportunity that is sitting right there in front of us. But the question is, how? Now, I know there's some millennials in the room. Loved the keynote, by the way. I can't see her. But how many of you in the room remember Atari? Do you remember Atari? I know. For those millennials, it was so advanced for the time we had this joystick. Yeah, none of this. And this joystick was so advanced, you'd push it forward to go forward, do you remember? You'd pull it back to go back. And if you were really clever, you might be able to pull off roll, uh, moves such as rev rolls, flip kicks, or even butt bounces. Apparently, that's what they were called. But my favorite was Pac-Man. Do you remember Pac-Man? It was the wacka, 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 as he was fighting off the four ghosts, Blinky, Inky, Pinky, and Clyde. I loved it. Check out that 70s show. You'll see it. But you see, the thing is, Atari was the bee's knees back in the 70s. It was the apple of the video gaming world. So the question is, what went wrong? What went wrong? Well, you see, competition intensified, as it does everywhere. And this little unknown brand, Nintendo, entered the market and they approached Atari and they said, can we work together? We want to be bigger. And Atari went, yeah, sure, let's have a conversation. They even got as far as drawing up final contract papers. But at the very last minute, Atari pulled the plug. They decided to go it alone. 
If you fast forward to the 1980s, the market changed considerably. There were copycats everywhere. The market was absolutely saturated. And in 1983, the video game market crash hit. That year, Atari produced 12 million cartridges, but they only sold five. Do you want to know where the other seven are? Jump on a plane, head to New Mexico. The western flank of the Sacramento Mountains is where you'll find a little town called Alamo Gordo. And there, apparently, in landfill, are seven million Atari cartridges. Meanwhile, Nintendo had seen what was happening. And they developed this lockout technology. As a result, they survived. And Nintendo continues to dominate the market. Super Mario is still the best second video game in the world. So you see, what we had is we had the smallest approach the biggest and go, let's work together. But the biggest went, nah, we don't do that. Because that's what we did in the 70s and 80s. It was all about, you know, let's just stay together. We don't want to work together. We've got to protect our back. We don't want to lose market share. But they actually did because Atari failed to future-proof. They failed to see what they had and the opportunity that existed into the future. And the rest, quite frankly, is history, which is, which is probably just as well because my kids are on that screen time age and it's an absolute nightmare. So you see, the future is evolving. Business used to be beautiful. I started work back in the 80s, and we used to plan five years out, 10 years out. I worked for a Japanese company 50 years out at one stage. Insane. But now it's like this. It's just crazy. We come in every day. We have our to-do list. We have our three big, hairy, audacious goals, and then bam, email. And we leave Friday with three big, hairy, audacious goals and a to-do list and more. And we've got competition every day coming in and changing things, and we're constantly zigging and zagging. Our clients used to be gorgeous. We used to love hanging out with our clients and our suppliers and having drinks with our teams, but now they're like this. <laughs> they're a nightmare. And if you think they're not, think about yourself. Every single one of us is more demanding than ever before. We get online, we want it delivered within two hours, we want to return it within one. We want to have the table in that restaurant, we want to get the best deal in accommodation, we are demanding. And then our resources used to be limitless. As I said, I started work in the 80s. We could leave the office at lunchtime and not come back. We were able to put in expense forms and not worry about our credit card bills. We were even allowed to photocopy on one side of paper in colour. But then, GFC hit. And now, every single one of us is being challenged in terms of what we're doing with our resources. People are cut, headcounts cut, return on investment is challenged. Every single thing is being challenged, and yet, we have to ideate, we have to create, we have to innovate, we have to come up with new ideas. We're being told to stop being fearful and be confident. We're being told to stop being confused and get clarity. We're being told to get ready and mobilize for the future. But how the hell do we do it? Because what I'm seeing is most people are going, shit, I have no idea. I'm actually feeling really scared. 
I'm really worried about my job and my future and my company and where the sales are coming from and how I'm going to survive. And what we do is we regress into this space of me, a space of protect what I know, learn what I don't, and until then, I'm going to fake it till I make it. And if you think I'm joking, this industry is making a fortune out of our lack of self-belief and our fear. In 2013, Catherine Schultz wrote in the New Yorker magazine that we are spending over $11 billion on how to feel better. The life coaching industry is the second biggest growth industry in the world. We are spending over $75 billion on health and fitness and anti-aging, well over $2 billion. So we are all obsessing about ourselves, and yet the future is saying, come on, guys, you've got to challenge the status quo. You've got to disrupt the norm. You've got to be courageous and brave. You've got to connect with each other. You've actually got to work with each other. You've got to step from this space of me into this space of we. And you know what? Entrepreneurs know this. Agile businesses know this. They know that actually competition's not worth worrying about. What's effective is collaboration and working together. Deloitte did a report last year and they actually proved that there is so much benefit in collaboration. They estimated that the collaborative economy is worth $36 billion and if we all get better at working together and get our practices and processes better, we can deliver another $9 million. We're able to save time. If we work together, we reduce time by 15%. They actually said, if you get rid of any sort of traditional time-wasting stuff, like making a coffee, going to the bathroom, you'd save $1,600 per employee by working together. Aristotle said, great minds working together are so much better than the, yeah, they're, they're far greater than the whole. The sum of the parts is far greater than the whole. So imagine the impact that that has on quality of work. And you get great minds together. We're testing, we're checking, we're making sure things are better, we're improving. And when it comes to engagement and our teams, Gallup famously said that 46% of employees are unhappy at work. What is that costing us? And yet Deloitte's proved that when we work together, 56% of people are happy at work. All of that delivers growth and it delivers profit. And the examples are absolutely everywhere. We've got Airbnb, the poster child, you know, connecting people that have spare rooms with people like me and you who want to go on holiday but not pay the hotels and at the click of a button we can get in there. But this is my favourite, Lego and NASA. Who would have thought those two would work together? But you see, Lego are wanting to make fun more scientific and NASA are wanting to make science more fun. And so what they've done is Lego have sent astronauts into space with Lego kits. And astronauts are up there, busy piping down back to Lego HQ. What they're seeing, they're making models of asteroids and what they're seeing from, from, the, from the moon and from planets. And kids around the world are learning immediately what is going on. That's the power of collaboration. So the question is how? How do we do it? Well, for me, it absolutely has to start with each and every single one of you individually. There is no way to, to collaborate if you're not who you are. You are unique. And so with this, the first thing that we have to do is we've got to get out of our own way. 
We've got to start being brave. No one's going to teach you that in an MBA or at university or at school because it comes from in here. We've got to be brave. The ones that are collaborating successfully are brave enough to question, to challenge, to be curious, to accept that they don't know everything. They're having the courageous conversations because they know that's the only way that change can happen. They are zigging and zagging because they know that what they're seeing right in front of them is not what the future needs. Sheryl Sandberg wrote that beautiful book, Lean In, and she was targeting women and telling us all to lean in. But you know what? I reckon it's up to all of us to lean in. We've got to be brave enough to lean in and embrace diversity, to embrace failure, to embrace making mistakes and know that on the other side is huge, huge opportunity. In 2013, there was this guy called Jim Donald. He was the CEO of Extended Stay America and the company was in a mess. And he walked into this company and went, oh my God, where is everyone? You see, everyone was keeping their heads down. Everyone was scared about losing their jobs. The team were totally disengaged. And this company had tried everything, but they couldn't turn the business around. And Jim went, my people have the answer. And so he developed Get Out of Jail for Free Cards, the best place on the Monopoly board, right? He developed these cards, and he handed them out to 9,000 of his staff. And here was the deal. He went, I trust you. I know that you know what we need to do. And I'm trusting you to go and make a change, and all you've got to do is hand in a get out of jail for free card, and no questions will be asked. One of his team got in touch with a local production company, and she sold in a quarter of a million dollars worth of accommodation. That's a lot of beds. The business turned around. People became engaged. People were on the same mission and the same vision to turn this business around. Now, yes, that's a scary move. Yes, it's risky, but it was a calculated risk because he trusted his people. My challenge to you is how brave are you being? If you had a get-out-of-jail-for-free card, what would you do with it? What about if you gave your people or your teams or the people around you a get-out-of-jail-for-free card? What would you do? Are you creating situations at work that are allowing people to ideate, to think, to dream, to feel? to make mistakes? Or are you just so focused on this is the way it is because this is the way it's always been that you're oblivious to the opportunity that is right there at your fingertips? Being brave is tough because it requires us to do numerous things. We've got to do all of this stuff. We've got to lead change. We've got to manage and, and uh, sponsor and mentor others. We've got to be at the forefront of pushing boundaries. Curiosity did not kill the cat. Curiosity created opportunity to grow and thrive. And I get that stepping out of comfort zone is scary, but you know what? I think it's the only way to go, and this is what successful businesses are doing. Mm -hmm.